if you're new, I'm Dr. Bain. I have a medical practice in town. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and I'm a football coach. And so we'll kind of talk about some of that football stuff as we go today. Pastor D will be back next week, so you get a real pastor finally. Um, But uh, a couple weeks ago, Brandon had to fill in some slots, and so he's trying to find fill-in guys. And he he contacted me, and, and I thought, Brandon, you must not have got the memo. I'm fatigued, I'm exhausted, I'm done. And I bet a lot of you guys feel that same way. So he asked if I would preach, and my initial thought was, there's no way. We just, uh, trying to run a medical practice in this last year with all the COVID stuff has a lot of challenges, very fatiguing and frustrating. Uh, And then as a football coach, uh, we had a couple years ago a great football team, won a state title, bunch of kids coming back, so everyone's excited for this last year. And if you did anything with school or sports this last year, you really recognized this was a grind. Endless, frustrating, you're in, you're out, you're on, you're off. And so we were ready to roll at the end of the summer, and then, oh, not going to have a season, it's going to be at the end of the spring, and then it's going to be in January, then it's going to be in February. About five times the teams we were playing changed. So trying to even have a structure upon which to build, you couldn't do. It was a very frustrating time, and I felt emotionally burned out. So the question is, how many of you have felt burned out over this past year, right? Most of you should have your hand up, and I would suggest if you're not feeling burned out, you're probably not trying to accomplish anything. Because, and that's true when you think about it, because so many things are getting in your way and being put in your way. And so... I I thought, there's no way I want to preach. I'm burned out. And as I thought about it, uh, so one of the things would be, I'm feeling burned out. When does God ask you how you feel? Abraham, how do you feel about putting your son to death? He doesn't ask that, right? How do you feel when your wife dies to the prophet? I don't care. You're not going to mourn. He's not interested in your feeling. He's interested in what you choose to do right? And so I'm feeling burned out. And that was a challenge to me. If I'm feeling that way, I need to grow. And I assume you guys are in the same boat I am. So let's try to go through some of that together. Uh, And so our objectives to go through here today is we're going to look at a couple of things. One is just being burned out. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of us are. Another is a collision. You probably feel like there's a collision, a battlefield in our country right now uh, that's raging. Uh, And there is. The next would be, if we're burned out, we have no motivation. It takes wisdom to find and generate motivation. If you wait for it, it'll never fall in your lap. And then we're going to close by the conclusion of the matter. So I'll start up here with feeling burned out. And when you do research on this, I just looked up, it's very easy to find. Uh, Different people will come up with pretty much these same three things. Three factors that consistently lead to burnout. The first would be emotional exhaustion. So you can see number one in your notes there. Emotional exhaustion. Just think of this. I know some of you may not care about football, but for those who like football, you're on, you're off. Oops, there's not going to be. Well, we don't even know who you're going to play. And and it keeps changing. So if you're a lady that doesn't care about football, imagine if you're planning a wedding. It's going to be June 12th. Oh, wait, no, it'll be July 3rd. Oops, no, June 2nd. Oh, no, it's off. No, we're going to do it next year. If you're emotionally invested in something, to have the foundation moved around is emotionally exhausting. 
Uh, number two, depersonalization or dehumanization. That means a loss of relationship. Your emotional attachment to other people is diminishing. Let's see. What does the mask do? So I've done this experiment, and now as they're talking about trying to get masks revved back up again, I've done this numerous times. Go to Safeway, Freddy's, it doesn't matter. Um, go in there. I've done this tons of times. Hey, how you doing? And you watch people move away from you. You, really, uh, you literally see that. I think that didn't happen a year or two ago. I mean, I, I look odd enough that that happens occasionally to me, but you probably don't have that happen to you much. Uh, but I've tried to go do that if everyone's wearing masks or stick your hand out to shake a hand and watch the dehumanization that has happened in one and a half years. The next thing is a diminished sense, number three, diminished sense of personal accomplishment. So again, I like football because it's tangible and it's physical and it's right in front of you. What has he got across to score a touchdown? Look at the word, goal Line, the goal line. You have a big goal. Get across that line and you score. Is there a proximal shorter goal? Yeah, there is. The first down mark. You have a line to gain and route to the goal line. Long-term goal, short-term goal. Very simple, physical, tangible. You can see how that is. When you can't, like last year, you can't be a state champion. There was no playoff. There is no state championship game. Kids start to see that pretty quick. And they start to wonder, what's the purpose? Exactly what is it we're trying to accomplish here? And so your sense of accomplishment goes down. And then that kills your motivation. Burnout is more likely when these three factors are prolonged. Especially if they're all going on at the same time. Well, how long has this been? If we just look at COVID, that's been a year and a half. Is that prolonged? Of course it is. Uh, what happens when you start getting into burnout, you have emotional burnout and depression and nihilism sets in, you'll get hormone imbalance. You females know when your hormones change, what happens to your mood? You have issues, right? For us men, what happens? Our testosterone drops. The youth in our country in just the last five years has had a drop in testosterone, overall a significant drop in the last 40 years. I can measure that in my office. I see it frequently. Changing manhood in this country. This is one of those things, is prolonged burnout. Navy SEALs trying to create mental toughness. One of the things they will do is called Hell Week. So they'll go five days in this week, four hours of sleep over this five-day period. They're trying to build strength and toughness. That's tough, but you can do anything for five days. How about three weeks? What if you prolonged four hours every five days, and you prolong that for three or four weeks, you now break the system, have an emotional breakdown. That's too much. You break it. That's a big thing of what's happening uh, in our country right now. And so one of the thoughts, uh, when, these, when they're prolonged, so what we need to build motivation and have a goal is we have to have, as humans, we are created to have a sense of accomplishment. There is no self-esteem without accomplishment. So that's a message our world is trying to teach, that you can just sit there and have self-esteem. That's false. We're given value by God, so that's a separate issue than what is your self-esteem. has to have accomplishment. It doesn't just happen by sitting there. 
Number five, it requires work to gain a true sense of accomplishment. Do you notice that our culture is attacking the concept of work? Hey, just sit there and take unemployment for an extended period of time. Yeah, a little thing to help is fine. But extended, that destroys your soul because you have no accomplishment. And so we are attacking work in our culture, which actually means we're attacking God. And we'll see how, where, where, how we connect that in a minute. So we're going to go to the... Some people think work is a result of the fall. Work is not the result of the fall. At the fall, our work is resisted. But we always had work from the beginning. Let's look in Genesis 1. This is before the fall. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when you read this passage, just think about work. Rule. Let them rule. Be fruitful. That's easy work, isn't it? That's fun. You got I mean, that just... Okay. Uh, fill the earth. Spread out. Subdue it, the dominion mandate, right? Figure things out, solve it. That's a practice of medicine. Figure things out, make solutions, have dominion, and then a second time, rule. All of those things have an agenda. There's a purpose, there's a task. God gives something for man to do before the fall. Work is essential to have a sense of accomplishment. New Testament, you'll notice Satan is always trying to thwart work, especially God's work. So Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And so Satan, through the Pharisees, he's attacking him now. uh, And they're saying, what are you doing on the Sabbath? So in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. God works. He demonstrates rest on day seven to give us a pattern, but life is about work for God. Work is critical. But what happens when you attack work? You're attacking accomplishment. Without work, you can have no accomplishment. And God is a God of goals and accomplishment. That's an attack on God. That's what's happening. Where's your purpose? If there's nothing for you to do, if your life goal is to sit by the beach in retirement, it's fine to have rest periodically, seasons. But if your goal is to sit and veg and rest, you don't understand Scripture. God wants you to impact people. It doesn't have to be through employment. There's multiple ways to do that. But to impact. Uh, How about motivation? If you have nothing to accomplish, how do you motivate? And so I had a patient several years ago, uh, this young generation, so she was in her young 20s, had a Christian background, I knew, from her family, but having depression, having a bunch of stuff, we're having a conversation, and I asked her, what's the glue that holds you together? What makes you tick? What motivates you? The big picture question is, what's your worldview? I need to get to know you a little bit to see how we can move through this. She didn't bat an eye. It was interesting. Her response was, existential nihilism. Oh. Okay, her worldview is existential nihilism. Uh, So here's a question. 
How would you answer that question? If someone said, what holds you together? What makes you tick? What's your worldview? What's your answer to that question? The next thing would be, how about if you're talking to a young person, and so four or five years ago, it's here, but it wasn't there. This is the worldview now of the 20s generation. This is what it is, existential nihilism. How do you respond to the person that essentially tells you that? So what is this? Uh, Let's go to number six. Existential nihilism is the philosophical theory that life has no intrinsic meaning or value. I got this from the source of all truth at Wikipedia. With respect to the universe, existential nihilism suggests that a single human or even the entire human species is insignificant, without purpose, and unlikely to change in the totality of existence. Well, you can see this is evolution. There is no purpose. God, creation, purpose. Everything has a purpose. Evolution, atheism, there cannot be a purpose when everything is random. This is the offshoot. It's all part of that same package. Nihilism. So here was my response to that young lady. I knew she had a background with the Bible. So I asked her this question. Well, that's interesting. You say nihilism. Did you know that's in the Bible? She looked at me funny. I said, yeah, what what book in the Bible teaches nihilism? She didn't know. Well, let's go through. It's Ecclesiastes. So let's see. Here it is right off the bat. The words of the teacher. This is Solomon. The wisest man to ever live on the planet other than Christ. King of Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless. In the Hebrew there, it's hevel. Meaningless. Can't figure it out, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So, number seven, the book of Ecclesiastes appears to teach nihilism. The word hevel, meaningless, that has three components to it. Uh, One, our life is just a fleeting vapor. It's here and gone. Another is just that. It's meaningless. And the third component would be it's an enigma, something that can't be figured out. And that comes from it not having a purpose. If there's no purpose, you can't figure it out. I have a a third-year med student rotating with me right now, and we're going through what the practice of medicine is, is starting with anatomy and then physiology. You have to understand how it works. You cannot understand physiology without understanding purpose. Very simple. Why does your blood clot? So you don't bleed to death. There's a why. There's a purpose. Everything has purpose because we're designed by God. If evolution were true, there would be no purpose to anything. The book of Ecclesiastes, the wisest man ever, Solomon, looks at things and calls it an enigma, meaningless, hevel. Because there is no purpose, it can't be figured out. You could not practice medicine if there was no purpose in physiology. So... Uh, my football team this last year came to that same conclusion. Hevel. Meaningless. So I've coached various sports for 20 years and I have never had a team that got worse. We only had a stupid little five-week season at the end of the most grueling thing you'd ever imagined. Returning, remind, we were returning state champs. Fully loaded. If we had a regular season, we by all rights should be but there is no state championship. And at the end of this thing, we, when we got to finally play, it was great. But we struggled and struggled. And emotionally, we were not playing up to par. And we were not a depressed group of kids. This is a motivated group of kids. But they started to realize, this is garbage. And so about 
we had five-week season. After our third, fourth week, I gathered a group of seniors in after practice. I said, guys, where are you at? What's going on? Where are we? And this is a group of 17, 18 great kids. Heads are down. Lips are shaken. Coach, I'm done. I've had it. Hevel, Hevel. My senior year is garbage. It's been ripped out. It's gone. It's torn away. There's no purpose. Why are we even doing this? We can't even win a title. Meaninglessness, despair in a motivated group of kids. And if you have worked with Zoom or kids in school, why do I even turn in my math? Because it doesn't matter. I'll pass anyway. My daughter, doing her student teaching, had to go on Zoom teaching kindergartners how to read. Think that one through. And if you can't conclude that's Hevel, your brain don't work. That is meaningless and stupid. So, let's look at Solomon, what he says in Ecclesiastes. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So, he's going on a mission to see purpose in life. See what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. What does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. He's intentionally doing this. He never leaves his wisdom. My wisdom is always with me. I'm trying to see the purpose in life. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the sun. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. Look at what he accomplished and compare this to you and me. Houses, plural. Vineyards, plural. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself in the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. 300 wives and 600 concubines. All the women a guy could have, about a thousand of them. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, but, there's a problem. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was hevel, meaningless a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So he's reaching this conclusion after doing far more than you and I have ever done. So I commended pleasure. There's nothing good for man under the sun except to eat, drink, and be merry. So think about motivation. Solomon, far wiser than us, came to the conclusion of meaningless in this life. Think of motivation and just simply look at COVID protocols. What happens to motivation? You kill it. You kill motivation. You come to this conclusion. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. If that's your worldview, where's gratitude? If there's no point, no purpose. There's no room for gratitude. Think about Romans 1 and 2 Thessalonians 2. If you're not thankful, God comes into play now and turns you over to a depraved mind. That's not a good position to place yourself in. So now, we just kind of wanted to understand 
being burned out. Now we're going to realize this collision course that are, is in our culture. You can see there's a collision. Here's a kind of paradox theoretical question. What happens when an unstoppable force, that could be motivation, or that could be, let's say, the hammer of Thor, Molinor, the hammer of Thor, an unstoppable force, what happens when that hits an immovable object? What happens? Marvel Comics put that in one of the Avenger movies, so that was it. Hammer of Thor comes down on the shield of Captain America. You have this explosion, and when the dust settles, what happened to the shield? It didn't shatter, it held. So who won? The immovable object actually won. Thor bounced back. His hammer didn't crush it. How about light and darkness? So we would like to think light penetrates darkness and makes darkness flee, right? How about a black hole? Light might be able to go from behind it and wrap around. They've just found that through the bending of space-time. But it doesn't, if you're inside that event horizon, you get trapped and consumed in that black hole. Does light beat darkness? Hmm. As believers, uh, that kind of bothered me. Does darkness win? We got to think about that one. Let's think about light. First Timothy 6, the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. That is not created light. So created light gets ensnared by a black hole. Uncreated infinite light is God. Can overcome all darkness. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. In the beginning, this is John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light, capital L, of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So, the light, this infinite, uncreated light, is Jesus Christ. The darkness did not comprehend it. Let's look at number eight. The darkness is not able to overcome the light, the true light, the logos. And that word in the, in, the, uh, in the Greek does not just mean understand, it means overcome. The darkness did not overcome the light. So re- go back here a few minutes ago, what book teaches nihilism? Well, that was Ecclesiastes with this key phrase, hevel, hevel, 38 times in the book, meaningless, meaningless. But we want to actually understand that book that the wisest man who ever lived wrote. Because he does not teach nihilism. If we really want to understand Ecclesiastes, there's another phrase we have to understand. Anyone know what that is? Under the sun. This occurs 30 times in that book. So everything is hevel, meaningless, if life is under the sun, a closed system under the sun, and there is no God. If evolution is true, if atheism is true, and there is no God out there, we're in a closed system, then all is meaningless. So you have to realize, you will see this, I've underlined it in my Bible, under the heaven once, under the sun 29 times, 30 times in there, this concept, if life is only under the sun, the material world we see, then the true conclusion is hevel, meaningless. Number nine, 
the key phrase to understanding Ecclesiastes is under the sun. A nihilist cannot be motivated. If your world, that patient I had, her worldview is existential nihilism, of course she will be depressed. You cannot be motivated in nihilism. Let's go uh, in James 1. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, from the outside, from the eternal God. It penetrates through to our world here and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So part of this can mean that God doesn't change, but that's not really what it means in the Greek. These two words, shadow and turning, are only used here in the New Testament, but turning, the Greek, tropos, trope. What's our English word from that? Entropy. Degradation, runs out of fuel, shirt gets old, wears out, throw it away. All things in creation are subject to the curse and are wearing out. The infinite God, the Logos, the true light, is not subject to the curse, is not in turning upon himself, not even having a shadow of entropy or in turning. That's what that verse is really teaching you, not just that he doesn't change, it's that he's not subject to decay. So now we have to have wisdom to look above the sun, outside, to garner our motivation to see how do we get motivated because under the sun there cannot be motivation unless you think you're wiser than Solomon. You have to have a sense of accomplishment. But where does that come from? You have to have purpose. You have to have work to do. You have to have something that you need to do. Number 10, when we focus on our purpose, our motivation increases. I'm going to tell you a story that might help understand that. Because we want to focus on motivation. So a lot of you raised your hands that we kind of are going through burnout. I've been going through burnout. I recognized I was going through burnout uh, twice now in the last couple decades. I failed to make goals at the beginning of the year. One was about 10 years ago. I didn't realize I was struggling with depression through a t- tough part in my life. And I realized... I made it through here in this January and I don't have my yearly goals made because I couldn't focus. I didn't feel the motivation to make my goals and it took a while to realize what was going on. That same thing happened this year. Come January, come February, come March, Hevel, Hevel, this way overdrawn football season trying to run a practice and this ever, I mean, we're practicing at six o'clock. The schedule is grueling. No motivation to make my goals And so I realized, ah, that's depression setting in. How do we start to to deal with that? Uh, And so let's say this burnout, and you're feeling that way, life can always be worse. Let's say that we go down to the Gulf somewhere, and you've built everything. You've got your house, your RV, your swimming pool, your cars, your family's all down there, and a, a hurricane hits. Decimates a lot of your family. Your kids are still alive, but all your extended family is gone. Friends and neighbors are gone. Your RV is gone. Your barn is gone. Your swimming pool's uprooted. Everything is destroyed. And you start thinking, I've worked 50 years to build. And it's just been decimated. You now feel heavy. You feel meaningless. And you're sitting here and you have no motivation and you're depressed. And so you're sitting here on a rubbish heap and you happen to manage, well, there's some some wood stuff. You cobbled together a makeshift dwelling and you found a gas line so you could have some heat and your kids are sleeping in there. It's early in the morning and you're just sitting out here, meaningless, meaningless. 
I have no motivation. But something happens. The gas line breaks and the flame is ignited and now it's a fire. Your children are in there asleep. What are you going to do? Do you notice how your motivation changed? It went from zero to ten like that because of clarity of focus on purpose. Ten minutes ago, you thought you had no purpose. God came into your life and focused you on purpose. Your children will die if you don't act. And you went from zero to ten lickety-split with motivation because you focused on purpose. So here's another question as we think of purpose. God is good, even if bad things happen. But here's a question I like to, to think about would be number 11. Why? Is God good? I don't know if you ever thought about that one. I have. Boy, we're lucky. Is such a thing as luck? Boy, we're lucky that God is not evil and capricious and just wants destruction. Because he could. He's omnipotent. What if he was like that? And so some people say, well, God's good and he can't deviate from his character. But I think that's us putting an arbitrary box around God, and we are defining God on our terms. God is infinite, omniscient. He knows all paths. I would suggest because he knows all paths, he knows all decisions, he knows where they would ultimately end up, it's his sovereign choice to be good because that will give him the most enjoyment and pleasure and accomplishment. That's why we should choose good, even if we can't see it all, because he sees all options. He's not obligated to do anything. It's because of his omniscience that he makes that choice. That's what I would suggest. So let's think of Jesus. He now comes down to earth, and he's now a human being. So he's taken on the frailty of being like us. Would he get fatigued? He knows how the real world works. How does he solve an energy deficit? And how does he solve when he's feeling depressed or down or tired? So we go to John 4. Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. This is the woman in the well story. It was about the sixth hour. So you start at 6 a.m., so this is noon. So he got up early, and he's already finished a journey, and now he's tired, and he's sitting at the well because he's thirsty and tired and hungry. He's what? He's wearied. Yes, he's in human form. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, you look tired. You look hungry. You need to eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. He's telling you guys think under the sun. You're thinking in this materialistic world. I'm showing you, I think, above the sun to my Father and what infuses from there, not what's limited down here. Let me explain this to you, says Jesus. The disciples are saying, well, who fed him? Who brought him the beef jerky and the sandwich? How did he get a nap? He didn't. That's not what he's needing. So Jesus said to them, my food, my energy, my motivation is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. So we're going to take that and just look at it. Jesus said, my food, my energy, my sustenance, my motivation. You think it's carbohydrates and protein that you're eating, but it's not. It's to do. It's to act. I felt depressed. I felt down. I was totally burned out. Brands, hey, buddy, hey, you want to preach? Heck no. We just got done with football camp. And I'm getting ready for doubles, the unending season last year. I'm tired, Brandon. Didn't you get the memo? But Brandon said, Bain, I don't care how you feel. 
In fact, nobody does. What are you going to choose to do? And then I realized I need to build motivation. I need to act and do what I don't feel like doing. The will of him who sent me. That's purpose. In Isaiah, the word of God goes out and it will not fall short from what he sent it to do. It has a purpose. So there's a purpose in things and Jesus recognized that and not just to do it and to accomplish, to finish it, not just to half-heartedly do it, but to accomplish it and it's work. There it is again. Work. Jesus and God are always at work. Why do we want to retire and sit? And it's not our work. It's his. So that's what Jesus is telling them. It's all about having a purpose and focusing on that. But purpose cannot be found, number 12, under the sun. It requires an open system. Think of equity. Our culture, schools are teaching this now, full steam. Not equality under the law, not equality of opportunity, but forced equity of outcome. Don't worry about turning in your paper, son. You'll pass anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we won't even have a state title. It's we're all equal here. Forced equal results of equity. 13, that concept kills motivation. Why would I do my math when I pass anyway? Try teaching your 7th grade kid that he doesn't have to do his homework and see what happens with his motivation. Let's look at Jesus. He handles that concept. Parable of the talents. So a talent used to mean money, like 75 pounds. Now we use it as skill, but that's because of this parable. That's when it changed. So there's the dude with five, makes five more, has ten. Well done. Dude given two, makes two more, has four. Well done. Now we get to the guy that had one. And that one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. I wasn't motivated. And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See here, you have what's yours. And boy, Jesus was tickled pink with that guy, wasn't he? Let's see. But his master answered and said, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out that worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus does not teach equity of outcome. So how do you generate motivation? Because that's what we really want to figure out how to do. If you're under the sun... You cannot do that. You can't be motivated. You have to go beyond that and realize there are spiritual principles. The generous man will be prosperous. He who waters will himself be watered. So when I was thinking, Brandon, I'm tired, I'm fatigued, why, why in the world would I be preaching? As I thought through that process, I realized I'm burned out. I'm depressed. I don't have motivation. What do I need? I need to be watered. I need that. How does God water me? Well, if you sit and wait for the sprinkler to hit, you'll be there forever and you'll wither away. You have to do, you have to act. I have to do what I don't feel like doing and water others to spiritually have God work to help build me. So that's why I'm preaching to you today because I need more motivation. And you're probably in that same boat. The best way to build motivation is to clarify your purpose by setting goals that impact others. 
Remember the kids in the shelter and the fire and how your motivation changed so fast by focusing on purpose. You ever see a motivating movie, Hacksaw Ridge, World War II, the medic up on the hills, sieging the island, going to Japan? That dude is motivated, not from under the sun, but from God who penetrates through, and he acts and does and impacts other people and motivates them. Try, I've done it. Try to find a movie from atheism and nihilism that motivates. You can't find it. But you can find movies that have a concept that comes from above, freedom, love, that comes from above and generates motivation. So the last thing is the conclusion of the matter. And this won't take too long because Solomon didn't take too long on it. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. He pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write what he's trying to do is impact other people. So what's the conclusion he came to? The words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections. Notice we're at the end of Ecclesiastes. Like collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. Focus on the one shepherd, the one from above that is not subject to entropy. Focus on him, not all the things of the world. So when you look at COVID and you talk to people and their first response is, oh, it's complicated. No, it ain't. It's simple. This is an attack on God and the foundation of our country. And when you understand that, it's simple. But when you look at all this stuff and you're reading all these other people and all these things and you're under the sun instead of what is clarity and truth, you're confused and it seems complicated because you can't see it. In conclusion, when all has been heard is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. Look how simple he makes it. Because this applies to every person. Think of the parable of the talents. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. So we get to number 15. The solution to nihilism is simple. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the end of all this searching by Solomon. He doesn't end with nihilism. He overcomes it with this. Well, what are his commandments? I'm only going to show you one in Psalms. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. Notice vows is plural. 16. True or false, we are commanded to make vows or goals and accomplish them. True. That's how we overcome our nihilism and depression. So we've looked at being burned out. Most of us are. I know I've been burned out, tired, emotionally worn out. This has gone on a long time. And there's a collision that you see in our country going on right now. There's a battle for the heart and soul of our country. And it's God's word versus nihilism. Those are the two forces at bay. All this other stuff you see is built from that foundation up. None of these other things are primary. Those two are the primaries. We have to have wisdom to look through the canopy of under the sun and see God up above. And how do I determine his will for me to do, to act, to impact and influence other people? Only then can I be motivated. And that's the conclusion of the matter. Not how I feel. God never asked you that question. I challenge you to find it in Scripture. But what do you choose to do despite how you feel? So the ushers are going to come on up uh, and hand out the cards. Uh, I'll pray for us uh, as, as they're walking up.
Dear Lord, I just thank you that you are the infinite God. You are the uncreated light. Uh, You are omniscient and you choose to be good. I thank you for your love for us. And despite our failures, you still want to have fellowship with us. I just pray that we will have the wisdom to seek your word, to motivate ourselves by finding our purpose in your work. In Jesus' name, amen.